You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, so if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open up to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. And if you don't have a, a, a Bible with you, uh, don't worry, you can grab that Black Pew Bible right in front of you, right, right in front of you there, and turn to page 976. Uh, 976. Um, and I'll be real honest with you guys, um, this, this sermon today um, was not what I was supposed to preach this week. Um, yeah, uh, it's awesome how God's word works sometimes in just the way that I, just with different conversations that, that, that I had with people this week, um, God began laying something very different on my heart than what I had intended to when I, when I planned out this series um, about a month ago now. I see over the last, you know, beginning last week, and really, really even starting with Easter Sunday, uh, we, we've been focusing on, on the gospel a lot. Um, obviously, Easter Sunday is a message that, you know, Christ, that whole week, good, beginning with Good Friday, that Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins. And Easter Sunday, we celebrate that, that, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. And last week, we, we focused on this idea of, of what really matters for eternity. And we focused on this idea of, of belief. But if, if you folks have, have read your Bible at all, there seems to be this tension between faith and works, right? There, there's this tension between what you believe and how you behave and, and, and what really matters for eternity, and there, there, are some, there are some scholars and, and theologians that say it's all about what you believe. It's all about what you believe. And, and even last week we talked about that, what we believe, what we do with Jesus' claim, right? What we do with Jesus determines our eternal de- destination. That what we do with the claims of Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he's lived a perfect life, and that he, he died on the cross in our place for our sins, paying all of it. And three days later, rose from the grave and now offers eternal life and forgiveness of sins to anyone who believes in him. And last week, we focused on, on belief. Again, and this, this idea that, listen, our salvation is completely um, by grace through faith in Christ alone for our salvation. But then there's this whole other side of the coin here that talks about our behavior and, and, and our works. And today, listen, I'm not going to relieve, relieve that tension between faith and works this morning, because I can't. Because that, that is a tension that we just live with, um, within the realms of Scripture. There are things that we don't fully understand about God, and, and it should be that way. If God can be completely understood, then we are serving and worshiping a God that is too small. But this morning, I want to focus a little bit more on this idea of what faith, how faith and works can work together. Last week, we spent a lot of time on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And if you, if you have your, your scripture open, why, why don't we read those first two verses there, verse 8 and verse 9. It's going to be up on your screen there, too. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
See, last week we focused on that very, that very point, that salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is how we know for sure that we are a child of God, have forgiveness of sins, and that we have a home waiting for us in heaven. He says very clearly right there, if we are not saved by our works. Last week, we spent so much time talking about this idea that we are saved apart from what we do. We can't earn our way to heaven. But then Paul, in a way that only Paul can do, we come to Ephesians 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2:10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. In him. Can you see the tension there? Right, right up close. Ephesians 2 8 and 9. We're not saved by works. Ephesians 2 10, but, but good works play a role within our lives. See, what Paul is getting at here, and the way that we can relieve maybe some of the tension, is simply in this phrase that we are not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. See, we are not saved by what we do. We're saved in trusting what, with what, with, in what God, what Christ has already done for us. But we are saved for good works. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, that he is working on our lives to display the glory and the power of the gospel. My kids, over, over the last few weeks, have discovered the game Scrabble. Not like words with friends on the phone, like the actual board game. Uh, last night, Saturday night, I come down, kids are playing Scrabble. It's like, we are raising some nerds. This is awesome. <laughs> but that's, that's what I would do, so it's all right. But the whole thing with Scrabble, especially like the board game, is what? You have this bag full of letters, right? These tiles. And you, you, you stick your hand in and you grab these jumbled up tiles and you, you try to arrange them into words. Words that already exist. I hate playing with those people that like, need, need like, the whole dictionary. And they're like, I'm going to check if this is a word or not. No, no, no. Like, if you don't know the word already, like, you're, you can't use it. There are words that already exist. Guys, be warned. If you ever play Scrabble with me, just, just a little heads up. But God, God in his goodness... When we become followers of Jesus, when we believe in what Jesus Christ has done, sticks his hand within our jumbled, messed up lives. And begins arranging those tiles to display the glory and the power of the gospel within our lives. That God begins changing our desires and our actions and our behavior to begin showing the world through good works the truth of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. So we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. And there are two things today I want you to understand when it comes to salvation, and when it comes to this tension between faith and works, belief and behavior. The first thing that I want you to understand is that, listen, God's plan and work in your life doesn't end the moment that you accept Christ Jesus. 
doesn't say, you know, he doesn't, he's not working in your life. He's not drawing you to himself. And the moment that you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he goes, all right, I'm done. They're good. They're saved. God's plan for your life is so much more than you just accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The second thing is that a life of good works can, can bring an eternal impact. See, it's easy for us to begin, answer, begin asking the questions. All right, if I'm actually saved by faith alone, not because of my works, then I can just do whatever I want now. I'm saved. I have my fire insurance. If there's nothing that I have, my salvation is secure, and we believe that the Bible, the Bible tells us that it is, then why, why can't I just go and do whatever I want? Today, we're going to talk about the impact that those good works can have on your life and that God isn't done with you by just accepting you, by, by accepting you into his family and you accepting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But today I want to focus on something different. I know it, it would be easy for, for me to go from here on out for the rest of our time to tell you what exactly you need to do to have a life committed to good works. And we, we could do that. The Bible is full of commands on how we should live our lives, how we should treat our spouses, how we should raise our kids, how we should, how we should work for our employers, how we should treat our neighbors, how we should respond to persecution, full of those things. But this morning, I want to focus on not, want, not what God wants from you, but rather what God wants for you. You see, you see the, the difference there? See, this isn't something, a life of good works isn't something that God is saying, now that you're mine, you have to do this for me. He's rather saying, now that you're mine, I want the very best for you. We're going we're gonna to experiment this. I'm, I'm seriously going to use this line in about two weeks in, in my household. My kids don't know it yet, but I have plans to organize my garage, clean it out. It's a good, it's getting about that time. Yeah, good luck, right? <laughs> we'll see. What I want is a clean and organized garage. What I want for my kids is that they could learn the importance of hard work and accomplishing something that is hard and difficult. I'm seriously going to use this line. Kids, it's not what I want from you, but what I want for you. I want you to understand and appreciate what hard work can bring and what what effort and energy can do. And this morning, I want to paint you a picture, not just of what God wants from your life, but rather what God wants for your life. And instead of talking about, again, all the things that you need to do, I wanted just to point a picture of what your life could be like if you become committed to following after Jesus and surrendering to him in every area of your life. And you live a life that is committed to good works. See, because this is what God wants for you. God desires that our lives would leave an earthly legacy and lead to eternal rewards. This is what God wants for each and every one of us who follow after his son Jesus. He wants our lives to leave an earthly legacy that when we go, whenever that may be, the people we impact, the people that we leave behind would be impacted for the gospel because of our commitment to good works. And not only that, that one day when we stand before Jesus Christ, 
that we will gain eternal rewards because our commitment to living lives full of good works. So instead of telling you the steps on how to get there, I want to, I want to describe what these kind of lives look like. And the first thing that we see again is that someone committed to good works leaves an earthly legacy. And a life committed to good works, one of their part of their legacy is that they will bring other people to Jesus. That they will bring other people to Jesus. The Apostle Paul, in his epistle, in his letter to the Thessalonian believer, says this. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? What what can we boast about? What, what can we be encouraged by? What, what, can we, what, what can we be completely psyched about? And he says, listen, the thing that we're rejoicing in the most, it's you. Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. What, what Paul is saying here is that, listen, one day when he stands before the Lord, one of the things, part of his legacy, is that these believers that he's writing to are the very believers that he had the opportunity to bring to Christ himself. And he says, when I stand before the Lord someday, I'm not standing there alone, but I'm standing with the people that I have brought personally to the Lord Jesus myself. That I have had an impact on their lives. And whether it's the first time they heard about Jesus or the last time they heard about Jesus, Jesus before they accepted him, they were going to be part of his testimony, part of his legacy. See, a, line, a, a life committed to good works will lead you to the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with others. It just does. It just happens. See, God wants us to experience the joy of being able to share the good news with someone and working alongside of the Holy Spirit to see that person come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He wants that for your life. He doesn't want that from you. He wants that for you. And those of us here today who have had that opportunity in the past know the joy of what it, know the joy and the feeling of seeing someone that you're investing in come to saving faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. But you may think, listen, that, that's the Apostle Paul, that's for pastors, that's for people that are talented or skilled at speaking, uh, I'm going to share with you a story because that's not always the case. Most often, we get the joy of bringing someone to Jesus simply by being obedient and being intentional with the opportunities that God lays on our hearts each and every day. I'm going to share with you a story. So on January 6th, 1850, a teenage boy trudged through a snowstorm in England and he was out and about, and he ended up having to actually stop at a small, primitive Methodist church. We actually have some here within, within uh, Dixon City and Blakely. Like, they're, they're still around. But this boy stopped into to the service because he literally had nowhere else to go. He couldn't make it to where he was going. And as a boy, he sat down. There's about 10 or 15 people there within the audience. And the pastor could, couldn't even make it in. It was, the, it was snowing that bad. And so this poor uh, shoemaker, one, one, one of the congregants, just stood up and said, all right, I'm going to preach. No one else is going to do it. And he stood up to the pulpit. He didn't have any funny stories. didn't have PowerPoint. Obviously, it was 1850. 
They didn't have a lot of things. But he simply opened up, opened up God's word and simply, simply just shared the gospel. No funny anecdotes, none of that, none of that stuff. Just simply shared the good news of Jesus. And in the most unimpressive and normal way, he looked around the looked around the audience and noticed that that young man in the back. And he simply took the opportunity that was there and said, "Young man, you need." You need Jesus if you don't have him yet. And on that night in 1850, Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon accepted the Lord Jesus as his Savior. And he would then go on and live a super fruitful ministry. Be called the Prince of Preachers. Literally sets the countryside and, the, and England, the country of England, ablaze with the gospel. All because one guy took the opportunity that was there. We know nothing more about, about, about that man. There's nothing more recorded that, that I could find. He simply took one shot and took the one opportunity that God gave him to make a difference. Sometimes it's just taking the opportunities that are there to leave a legacy of bringing someone to Jesus. But there's obviously other legacies, other parts of that legacy that God wants for us. And some, some of us aren't going to have a story like Charles Spurgeon. Most of us are not. Most of us are just going to be, leave a legacy of being faithful in whatever, wherever God has placed you. Whether it's being faithful to your calling as a mom. I'm going to stay at home and nurture my kids and point them to Jesus. Or it's you deciding as, as a father and husband that instead of chasing after every single career opportunity that's out there, that you're saying, I'm going to put, I'm going to put my family first. I'm going to put being home every night first if I can. I'm going to put investing into, into my wife and my family ahead of everything else. And that means that you're going to sacrifice and you're going to put other things aside to do those things. Maybe your pledge or your legacy of faithfulness is literally just being an, an employee that comes to work and clocks in every day and works for the Lord and not for a paycheck. Maybe for some of you it literally means staying in a Staying in a rough situation and breaking that, that chain of sin that's been going on within your family or within your neighborhood or, or your community. And making, making a difference wherever you are. We've had the, the opportunity, especially over the last three or four months, um, we have lost some really dear people. Here, here at our church. And some of them left legacies of faithfulness. And they weren't out there winning 
hundreds of souls to Jesus, but they were making it an impact. And you hear it from the people that come up and share. How their lives, even though they did, didn't do anything out of the ordinary, changed their lives for the gospel. And I would say for the most of us, that's where our legacy is going to lie. And being faithful to what God has called us and whatever that may be. God wants that for you. That's what God desires over your life. That at the end of our lives, that we would touch as many people as we can with the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ. You just got to ask yourself, I'm not, here to, I'm not here to preach you. I'm not here to say you need to do this, this, or that. I believe that, especially on messages like today, the Holy Spirit can work. So you just got to ask yourself, what legacy right now am I leaving? If I were to die today, what would those people who come to my funeral actually say? How many people would I be pointing to the gospel? Secondly, what people am I reaching? What, what people have God, has God placed within my circle of influence to do just that? God not only wants you to leave an earthly legacy here, but being committed to good works will do something else. Being committed to good works leads to eternal rewards. Leads to eternal rewards. You see, the, the idea of rewards isn't spoken of often. We don't preach about it a whole lot. But as I, as I was studying this, pack, this past week especially, the idea of rewards is all throughout Scripture. Jesus talked about rewards often. And if you, do, if you just do, do a, a word study on the word re- reward and how often it's used in the gospel, Jesus uses it quite a bit. And the Apostle Paul, in, in the writings of the epistles, uses rewards all the time as a motivator for people to live lives committed to good works. One of those times is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. It simply says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. See, the, the judgment or the beam of seat is what, is what Paul used there. It was used in Roman cultures. It was actually the seat within, within cities where People would come and they would, uh, those in authority would cast down, you know, judgments or, or whatever else. Or it's also used within the, the Olympic Games. Those are coming up pretty soon in Tokyo. I'm stoked about that. But what, what, what would happen is as these, as these athletes would participate, after they were done competing, they would stand before this beam of seats. And the judge there would, one, see if they were cheating or not. And two, would give them rewards if they had won. And so Paul uses this same kind of this same imagery when it comes to believers standing before Christ one day. And he says, There will come a time where all of us, for we must all, we meaning all believers, meaning, meaning believers, all meaning all of us, every single follower of Jesus will one day stand before Jesus, stand before our Savior, and give an account of everything that we have done for, with our lives, whether good or bad. Now, before we get too heavy into this, I want, I, want to, I want you to remember a few things. One is that our salvation is not at stake here. 
Some people view the Bema Seat as like this final exam to make sure that you are really a Christian or to make sure that, that you've really done enough with, with your salvation to, to earn your way to heaven. It's a last little check mark. And guys, what we talked about last week doesn't mesh with that, with that understanding of the Bema Seat. Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. That our sins have fully been paid for. Once and for all, forever, at the cross. This isn't something where you're standing before Jesus and you're wondering whether or not you're going to make it into heaven. If you're standing before Jesus at the Bema Seat, you're in. Our salvation is not at stake here. The second thing that, that needs to be that we need to understand is that we will be judged on how faithful we were with the life that God gave us. We will be judged based upon how faithful we were with the life God gave us. Not about someone else's life. Not, we're not, we're not going to be compared to Billy Graham or, or anyone else. We are going to be, we're going to be judged based upon the life that God has given you. And how faithful we were with the opportunities God has laid on our lives. Turn with me if you would. I want to just I want to break down this idea of, of the BMC a little bit more uh, this morning. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to work through verses 10 through 15 this morning. It's going to be page 953 in your Pew Bible there. We're not going to dig deep into everything about the, the judgment seat today. We just don't have time. But I want to give you an example, a little bit of a picture of what we will actually be judged on there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So again, the foundation that we are building on, the bottom, the bedrock of our lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the practical application, the practical point there is we will be judged from what? From the moment that we've, that we've accepted Jesus Christ, not before. You're not going to stand up there and give an account for everything that you did before you were saved. This is since you've been saved, since you've had the foundation of the, of the gospel. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So we have this possibility. There, there's this possibility here. between From the moment that we accept Christ as our Savior, we have two types of building material. Precious stone and then wood, hay, and stubble. The precious stones are the things that we do for the Lord, the, the good works that we're committed to, uh, the serving Him, the reaching out to other people. But the, the wood, hay, and stubble are, are those useless things within our lives that make no impact for eternity. I'm not saying that they're, that they're bad, but I'm, not saying, but I'm saying is that, listen, your life, you will, you will be judged for the impact that you make for eternity, not for Typical things that we do each and every day. And, and even things like, you think of things like, well, that, does that mean I can't watch sports anymore? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you can't get together with friends. But how are you using those opportunities to 
to impact someone with the gospel of Jesus, to bring them closer to the Son of God. That's what you're going to be judged on. And there's two different possibilities there. Verse 14 says, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And so if, after being judged, after being tested, there are things within our lives that have survived, the precious things, the things that count for all of eternity, we will receive a reward for that. We will receive recognition from Jesus, approval from Jesus. We will receive special privileges in the millennial kingdom, probably in all of eternity. We will receive a reward for the sacrifices that we've made here. But then lastly, verse 15. It says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul gives this picture here of someone who is sleeping in the middle of the night, and that person recognizes that their house is on fire, and they literally run out with the clothes on their back and nothing else. And he's saying, for, for the believer who hasn't lived a life, who hasn't invested in others, who hasn't lived in light of eternity, who hasn't been committed to good works and serving Jesus, he will still be saved. but he will have nothing to show for his life. And that person will suffer extreme loss. doesn't mean that that person isn't going to make it into heaven, but it means that that person has wasted the opportunities that God has given to them while they were here on this earth. And church, I, we, could go, we could go deeper into this whole judgment seat of Christ thing. There's a couple books that if you want to just look on, on your own, a couple ones that have been really helpful for me. Um, one is called The Road to Reward by a guy named Bob Wilkin. The Road to, to Reward has been really helpful in, in breaking down what the judgment seat actually is. Another one is called uh, Your Eternal Reward by, uh, by the scholar Erwin Lutzer, a really great, solid pastor. I would highly recommend that book as well. Um, and there, there may be some other times, I'm sure, where, where we're going to dig a little bit deeper into what the judgment seat is. But today, it is just I wanted to start by whetting your appetite and for many of us to recognize that, hey, there will be a time where we stand before Jesus and give an account for what we do with our lives since we've been saved. Matthew Henry put it best. I think this is a good reminder as we close up. It ought to be the business of every day to prepare for the day we stand before Christ. If we make it our business, our business to every day remember the fact that we will one day stand before our Lord and Savior someday and give an account of what we have done with our lives, that should trigger us to live lives for eternity now. That should trigger us to live a life of good works. That should trigger us and motivate us to live lives that matter for eternity. So again, I'm not going to play God with you today. I'm not going to tell you what you have to do. But I will ask you these questions. And these are ones, these are great to write down and think about through, throughout your week. The first question is, what is God calling you to do right now? What is God calling you to do right now? See, I can't answer that for you. And you can't answer that for me. 
This is a personal thing where God says, God, what would you have me do with my life right now? What are you calling me to do? Secondly, what opportunities has God already given you? What opportunities has God given you to to live a life that matters for eternity? What people has he brought into your life uh, that you can influence for the gospel? Um, what, uh, What situations has God placed you in so that you could bring the hope of Jesus to? What places do you work? What places do you go to school? What what church do you belong to? Where has God placed you? What opportunities has he given you to serve serve him right now? Lastly, what is holding you back from doing those things? What's holding you back from doing those very things? See, a life of good works will leave an earthly legacy and lead to eternal reward. This is what God wants for you church. This is what God wants for me. That we take the opportunities, whatever God has given us, and we use those opportunities for the good of others and for the glory of God. So as we finish, I'm going to invite the praise team forward as we just wrap up our time together today. And let me just remind you again, listen, this short series, this just a reminder, we are not saved by good works but for good works. Our salvation is based upon what Jesus has done for us. But our lives are called, we are called to live lives of good works from here on out. And it's God's desire that you leave an earthly legacy of faithfulness to our Savior. And that when you stand before Him someday, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what God wants. Now church, let's go get it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. God, thank you for your, for your plan. Lord, that you didn't just leave us there the moment that we've accepted you as our Lord and Savior. That you didn't just say, all right, they're saved, we're done. Let's move on to someone else. But God, you have a plan for our lives and you're working in our lives right now to arrange our behavior and our character, Lord, to glorify your son, Jesus. So God, I pray, Lord, for our church today. I pray for myself. God, that one that we would leave and that we would leave a legacy pointing people to Jesus whenever you take us home. And God, that when we stand before you someday at the judgment seat of Christ, as you judge and, and, you, and as you look over our lives, Father, that there will be eternal impact there. And that we would gain the reward that only you can give. God, I pray, Lord, that this would be motivating to our people, that we would see that your reward is greater than the pleasures and sins of this world. And God, Lord, that you would just motivate us to think not only for today, but God, to live our lives for what is to come. We love you, Father, and we pray, Lord, that you would work. Use us in our weakness, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.